This is episode number 19 of the Bearded Marketers Podcast. I'm Rob. I'm Corey. This is a weekly podcast. We talk about internet marketing. You can catch new episodes every Monday morning on thebeardedmarketers.com, iTunes, or on Stitcher Radio. Before we get into what we're going to be talking about for the night, we'd like to talk about what we're drinking. Corey, my man, what are you drinking? Tonight, mixing up a little bit, I'm drinking a kamikaze. It is one part vodka, one part lime, and then three-fourths triple sec. It's pretty good. A little heavy on the lime, but it's a good refreshing summer drink. In Florida here, it's hot in the summer. No, it's not. It's amazing right now. Um, I'm being extremely original. Again, ginger beer is in my drink, and this time it's whiskey instead of vodka. Again, a little bit of lime juice, as always. Any kind of ginger beer? Goslings. Send Shout us out a again. Case. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's go ahead and get started. This week we got some interesting topics. We were pretty heavy on the mobile last week, so we we're going to kind of diverge away from that. So we're going to lead this week with Google and what they're coming out with on press releases and how we as marketers might need to change up what we expect from press releases and the value that we put into them. Uh, We're also going to be talking about integrating logins with Facebook, Google, what goes into that, what benefits might be there. We're also going to touch on, you know, how can you test your optimization and your marketing messages without your IT department, which is the bane of every marketing department out there. Mm -hmm. Then we're going to wrap up with talking about page load times. Are you actually paying attention to that? Which Mm -hmm. I don't think many marketers are, but it actually does matter. Okay. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get started. So, If you haven't really been paying attention to the space, Google has made another round. You know, the infamous Mac Cuts has opened his mouth again, (laughs) and people started to cry immediately. Um, But this week, Google kind of... Actually, I should back up. Last week, Google had a kind of a webmaster talk where they were talking and, and slightly offhand mentioned that their assessment for press release links is being changed up quite a bit. And Search Engine Land in particular kind of went after them and asked for some clarification. And after talking with Matt Cutts uh, and a couple of the other engineers at Google, the clarification that they actually got was, as per Google guidelines, anytime that you are doing a press release from here on out, uh, what you should be doing is actually tagging any links in a press release as no follow. So for those that aren't maybe involved in the nitty-gritty or technical or, or SEO on a regular basis, what that essentially means is it, for the most part, removes the SEO juice from a link. It essentially tells the search engines to not attribute link juice or weight to that link to the to the domain that it's referring to. And you use that for a number of reasons. But in the past... Press release links used to be quite valuable. I mean, especially back in the day, you know, even six months to nine months back, if you were to do a press release, it could be a a pretty big gain for your site, uh, depending on what market you're in, what kind of press release, what syndication it had, a lot of factors, but it was a, a good way for you to gain some links on the back end and essentially grow your organic SEO. Now what Google is starting to say is they're getting a little tougher stance on press releases. You know, they've mentioned in the past that they don't weight those links as much. Uh, But what, if you read up on the subject matter, you know, a lot of people like Moz, Search Engine Land, you know, provide a lot of research that even though Google had said that in the past, they were still very valuable. Now it seems like they're taking a much more aggressive stance uh, and getting 
uh, and changing their guidelines. So I wanted to kind of, I know you're involved more in right. SEO on a day-to-day basis. So what kind of impact does that have for us as businesses and marketers and things like that? I think the primary impact is, is really going to be on a lot of the smaller businesses that use p- press releases primarily as a method of link building. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, I think, really what Google's trying to get at here. I mean, there are entire companies, industries centered around press releases. Mm-hmm. I mean, a good one is PR Web. PR Web has been around for a very long time. And there's sort of a low-cost press release service out there that is going to get your quote-unquote press release because it's not really one is, mm-hmm. is how a lot of people use it. They just use low-quality um, articles, basically, to get links pointing back to their site. It's like the new e-zine. Exactly, people. exactly. So it's it's just a cheap way to get a bunch of links back to your site and get it out there on some semi-legitimate websites sometimes. I think, so I, what I think that's primarily going to impact is is really going to clean up a lot of the low-quality stuff. It may actually shut some sites down. I mean, I don't know how PR Web is going to survive after something like this once mm-hmm. the word gets out. I don't think it's going to affect genuine press releases. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you have a genuine story, we, we, we've sent some out in the past with some of the websites we've run. If you have a genuine story, number one, you don't go through a PR web. You go through a real, maybe like a PR newswire or someone you have connections with who can get, go through PR newswire themselves. And the stories don't get picked up and reprinted online verbatim. You actually end up talking with the journalists, things like that. And the links that you get from those aren't just you know, pulled straight from the article, so they don't have the rel no follow on them. So they still carry that value because they're basically editorial links in those camp or something. So I don't know. It, it's it's. I think primarily, like I said, it's just going to have an impact on those low quality people who was sort of like last vestige holding on to a way to get paid mm-hmm. links out there. What it's going to probably separate is, you know, the marketing managers that actually know what they're doing versus the ones that, yeah. you know, are still relying on the 10 best ways to build your links that they read in 2003 and press releases is near the top on that. So, you know, it's something to pay attention to. Not only, you know, Google was not very clear on if it's going to be a penalty, so to say. You know, it's something you probably want to at least be checking out from here on out when you are sending out press releases. I mean, a lot of companies make it standard case, especially ones that might be publicly traded or whatnot. They might have just certain guidelines internally for, you know, displaying the information. So if you do use press releases, make sure you check out the new Google guidelines. And, you know, they're not very clear if it's going to be a penalty based but it is a change worth noting, and it uh, could impact how people really go after their SEO. So keep that in mind. So speaking of SEO, we put it out there. We've gotten some feedback so far, but I do want to put the plug out there. Some people genuinely seem interested in SEO. We wanted to talk about it a little bit tonight with the new Google guidelines, but let us know if you are interested in SEO, you wanted some more information, maybe some tactics for certain industries. Let us know if that's something that more people are interested, we can get a little bit more technical or dedicate some more time to it. If not, we can concentrate on some other things uh, because we have quite a bit of passions over here. So interested in SEO, let us know at BeardedMKRTS. Just go to the Bearded Marketers and try to find (laughs) it. You know, off the top of my head, I don't know what it is. Twitter and their character limits, whatever. Yeah. um, um, And it doesn't, you know, we don't have to necessarily just talk about it on the podcast. Feel free to hit us up on Twitter. You know, we'll respond to specific questions you may have, and we don't have to talk about it on the podcast. We're we're happy to help anybody out there. So moving on to the next topic, I've been spending the last week or so integrating what some may be familiar with out there, some maybe not. Um, The sort of Google sign, sign in with Google or sign in with Facebook, sign in with Twitter sort of features you see on a lot of large sites out there right Mm -hmm. now, especially ones that have a lot of social media integration or want you to like leave comments or 
want you to tweet out their articles they write, all sorts of things like that. In fact, you know, one thing I see it is kind of huge right now is private sales sites sort of force you to log in with a Google or a Facebook account before you can actually see their sales. I think some of the big ones are like Rue La La, and I'm going to make myself make myself seem bad if I list any more, but you know, some of those. Yeah, I think like Touch a Modern Fab, right. I believe you have to submit an email address to get into. Maybe they've changed that since, but uh, yeah, there's quite, it's, it's definitely a new trend and yeah. one that's gaining some steam. Absolutely. Now that we mentioned that, we should definitely talk about that on a future podcast, that sort of whole industry now where Everything used to be open for SEO purposes. Now everything's sort of closed down, mm-hmm. and it's like social media is the new way to, to get traffic. Anyway, moving back to this, I think, so I've been working, you know, integrating these things, and I thought it was an interesting thing that I needed to look up, you know, how many of these options do we need on a site? Do we need the top 10 social networks, sign in with Twitter, sign in with Yahoo, sign in with, you know, LinkedIn, all these different things? Which ones are the ones that people are actually using? Definitely MySpace. Absolutely. There's actually running a new commercial side note. I have no idea what's going on. There's people jumping around. Mm -hmm. There's Pharrell in it. Okay. And some other people I don't know. Justin Timberlake owns it, so it has to be good. Some crazy music and people jumping around (laughs) and then a MySpace logo. I don't, I, don't, I don't know what this is. Okay, so okay, so back to sign in with social networks. So I did some research. You know, first of all, I looked at some of the other major sites. What are they doing? Which networks are they using? And then I actually looked at some stats. So here are some stats for you in terms of which pe- which services people are using to log in to other okay. sites. Forty six percent. This is sort of site wide, or I guess internet wide. Forty six percent use Facebook. Thirty four percent use Google. Seven percent use Yahoo. I didn't even know that was a thing. I think uh don't want to sound too harsh, but I definitely think it's an older crowd. That's not harsh. That <laughs> uses Yahoo. Just gonna put that out there. Six percent use Twitter. Wow. So yeah, how do you feel, Twitter? Yahoo's <laughs> exactly. beating you. <laughs> and, and and honestly, that shocked me. I I thought really the two major ones would be Facebook and sign in with Twitter. And Twitter is nowhere to be found. No yeah. one really uses it in that way. Interesting. I think, you know, going back to Yahoo, personally, I feel like they're the new AOL. Not in the fact that they are, you know, AOL is kind of all of like synonymous with slow internet and some other things. But <laughs> Yahoo's kind of built themselves up on more of a media style platform than Google has. You go to Google to search, whereas Yahoo has kind of diverged away from search and they provide an entertainment hub and finance and some other things. So, I feel like Yahoo for many people is kind of what AOL used to be. Uh, but it is interesting that, you know, what, who provided these sets? This is the company you were working with, the integration. You said it was a fairly large company. Right. Though. So this was a company I was looking to maybe work with integration. Okay. I actually ended up going directly with Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of Google. the middleman. Uh, it's Jan Rain, I think. Is mm-hmm. I don't, Let me look this up real quick. Yeah, Jan, Jan Rain. Okay. So free service, sort of like an add this, where okay. you can integrate, log in with all these social media platforms. But the, kind of the bigger one in the space. Kind of, so yeah, the, the, the bigger areas. free offering in the space, absolutely. Hmm. Well, I mean, I guess it, it, Twitter is the big shocker out there that not that many people use it. I mean, I think it, you know, the question, though, is, is sometimes adding some of those things, you know, does it add clutter, but also does it add an air of, like, sophistication as well, though? Like, oh, they work with Twitter, and they seem like a hip, newer company, so even if people aren't using it, is there a benefit sometimes in offering it? And, you know, what might be interesting as well, I don't think they provide the stats there, is, you know, 
is there a a difference in those users? Like, do you find, or does that company find Twitter users interact with said companies more often than not? It'd be interesting to see if there's a value that you can assess different users, maybe based on their social preference logins. I have something similar to that. So okay. they actually in sort of analyze some industry breakdowns. Mm-hmm. So media sites, music sites, e-commerce sites, you know, they did some breakdowns and pretty universally across everything, the sort of rankings held the same. I mean, mm-hmm. it would it would change a little bit. The only industry where anything changed was B2B. Mm-hmm. So on B2B sites, the ranking is as follows. Facebook, 32%. LinkedIn now, 30%. Google, 23%. Twitter, 15%. And everyone else is nobody's. <laughs> so there is a difference there, at least in B2B, in sure. terms of what people are willing to use when they log into sites. LinkedIn, it's interesting to me that it came out of nowhere. I mean, it makes sense. It's a business site. But sure. that it came out of nowhere to one-third, roughly, of users mm-hmm. are using sign-in with LinkedIn. That, that is interesting. Uh, where did you uh, pull the stats so people can maybe check it out, the different breakdowns for their industry? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll tweet it out. I mean, okay. it's a long URL, but it's janrain.com slash blog. They have a post up there where you can okay. look up some of that stuff. Because yeah, that might be definitely valuable. I know a lot of companies kind of struggle with, you know, universal sign-ins, which one should I pick? You know, I think a, a lot of people also don't realize how much these companies allow you to access. You know, I know when I've talked about this to other companies in the past, their apprehension to using these universal logins is, well, we make people create an account so we can get information about them and get a full user profile. Well, with some of these universal logins, depending on what which ones you go with, and also what level of permissions you're trying to ask from the people, you can pretty much build a standard account details of a person, depending on how far you're willing to take these. Um, So I think a lot of the apprehension people have to using universal logins would be mitigated if they knew how much Facebook or Google is willing to provide you, depending on how you set these things up. Yeah, by default, you just get some basic information. So full name, gender, a little picture, things like that. But you can ask for some pretty in-depth stuff. You can actually ask for permission as well to post to people's Facebook walls Mm -hmm. on their behalf. Um, Look at their friends lists. You can really get some really in-depth, you you know, interesting and unique information. It can really help your marketing programs, especially I could see in a long sale B2B type situation. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, and again, I think that there is some benefit there. I mean, I think a lot of people have some apprehension on creating like another account. You know, I feel like some people just hate that there's just another account they need to keep track of, make sure, you know, also security risks, you know, with more sites every day coming out with news that their database got hacked and things like that. I think that these universal logins can help uh, ease some of that in users' minds. And also, it's pretty easy. I mean, as you know, if they're signed into Google, if they're already signed into Facebook in their session or LinkedIn, you know, it provides a pretty seamless experience versus them having to potentially go through either a process where you're asking for a lot of information up front, or even if you're breaking that out over multiple steps, it does kind of ease the process. And like, you know, Rob was talking about, you still get access to a lot of information so you can still build that customer profile. So universal logins, take it into account. It might be a good fit for you. All right. So a a topic that we've kind of gotten requested quite a bit for a lot of people that, you know, maybe aren't running the enterprise level testing 
uh, or are working with very large budgets, they often ask myself and Rob, you know, how do we test either on the cheap or how do I test without my IT team? Because one, you know, I might not like dealing with the Mountain Dew and Cheetos crowd or... (laughs) You know, I just can't get any of their time and I want to be agile. You know, I, I'm right. a, you know, I'm a marketer and I want to think about all I, these crazy spam ideas that <laughs> right. I want to do now. now. Right. And, you know, I don't want to wait for that three month release cycle or the six weeks release or whatever it might be. How can I get, you know, remove IT from the process? So I would encourage people to check out a couple of sources out there. Uh, If you're interested in running tests on your own, I mean, first and foremost, I think that it behooves people at a certain point to either contact someone that has some testing experience or work with a vendor to at least help you strategically set up a testing program. You know, there's a lot of testing tools out there that you can use on cheap But what I often tell people is testing can also be quite dangerous if you don't know what you're doing, because if you don't know how to set up tests or how to interpret them, what it can end up doing is not costing you time and money as in like lost sales during a test because you're testing bad ideas. But if you've set them up wrong and you don't know how to interpret tests, oftentimes what I find with companies is they build best practices internally on bad data or bad tests. And the problem there is, you know, when Rob and I work with companies, you know, sometimes we'll get in there and, you know, there's just some assumptions that the business has and that's what they work with. We assume this design works best because our sales guys told us that, or I'm the business owner, I made this product, people buy it, and so I know best. That's fine and dandy. The problem when you get into testing, though, is, if you have created a ill-formed test or interpreted it wrong, now you don't just have this assumption. You have this fact, in air quotes, right. that's backed up with data. So I would say that even though we're about to talk about some cheaper or easier alternatives, do always consider if you have the budgeting uh, or the time to potentially budget for having someone create a testing program or at least someone to consult with uh, that might have some experience in the industry because it can save you a lot of headache and a lot of potential losses or or headaches. So having said that, we did want to talk about if you have some of the smaller website build outs or, you know, some smaller testing needs, there are some tools out there available. Uh, First and foremost, one that we've talked about here on the show before is, is Google Analytics content experiments. So that's recently gotten an overhaul and, and a little bit more powerful. But for easy build out, you can use their A-B split testing tool. So how that's going to work is if you have a marketing campaign idea or a landing page that you want to test, you will essentially create a separate page somewhere on your website. And essentially within Google, you're going to tell it for people coming in requesting this page you know, trying to get my A landing page, I want you to send a certain amount of people to this B landing page and see if performance is going to change. The nice thing about that integration is if you're already using Google Analytics, you already have your metrics already built out. You know, what's going to be your success, whether that's orders, whether it's lead submissions, um, it makes it really seamless. Now, 
from a removing IT standpoint, it might not be necessarily the best because at the end of the day, you still need to create another landing page and host it somewhere. And you might not have the ability to do that without IT. But you don't necessarily have to rely on IT creating and setting up a testing platform because you can handle everything within Google Analytics um, and some tags that you place on the page. So it's kind of like a one-time setup fee. You pay the price of having IT set that up and then you're good to go. A couple other tools out there that you might want to look into. Uh, Optimizely is a big one that a lot of people use. Uh, it's a pretty easy setup. They have a WYSIWYG editor, which means you know you can use a tool very similar to WordPress or Microsoft Word to create content on landing pages. And they you can actually publish through the tool once you have it set up. So you don't actually need IT to create you landing pages and put them on the server. Once you get optimizedly created uh, and set up, you know that's available for you to do. And there's also one called Premise which is a landing page platform that you can use for WordPress. I know a lot of companies, even fairly large ones, still use WordPress as the backbone of their site. Premise allows you to create landing pages pretty easily and set up a split test, or even I believe they have multivariate now, uh, where you can do some testing within WordPress quite easily. Uh, WordPress is a great platform. I think a lot of people get into it and think it's going to be easy because it's free. There is quite a lot to learn there, but it can be a powerful tool. So check out Premise if you're on WordPress. There's a ton of tools out there. Visual Optimizer is pretty good as well. But, you know, we did want to talk about some tools out there that are available that allow people to kind of get into testing, but maybe don't have the IT resources to yeah. do a full-fledged testing program. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in my experience, I've seen all sorts of different companies using the free, even Google content experiments. You'd, I think a lot of people would be surprised by the like Fortune 100 companies using this on a regular basis mm -hmm. as their primary testing tool because it just it is powerful enough. And just I, I just want to warn people, you know, just because it's free doesn't necessarily mean it's not going to be good enough for you. Sure. or not powerful enough or not fit your needs. It's a wildly popular program for a good reason. Right. I think some other things to consider too, I mean, this is a problem that I see five-man companies run into all the way up to multi-thousand employee companies not having the IT resources to run testing. Mm -hmm. And it's not necessarily a knowledge thing. It's simply we don't have the resources right now to run tests and they're more than willing to hire people out to just run simple tests for them. And and it's because they just don't have the IT resources. So it's it's something that's, it's a huge problem right now. And I think some of these free testing tools, if people could actually, you know, take some time to actually get a little familiar with them, I think they could manage to, to pull off some amazing stuff. I mean, there's two other ones that I, I think are worth mentioning because I, I have some direct experience with them and they've worked well. Unbounce puts out a pretty good product as well. Pretty easy to learn and get into. They also have a, a unique product with some drag and drop features that really makes building landing pages quite easy. They also put out quite a bit of good template content. So, you know, a lot of people when they get into testing are unsure kind of where to start. Unbounce does a pretty good job on the educational side as well. If you want to subscribe to their blog and some of their free downloads give you a good place to kind of start. Their webinars can be pretty good too. Right. Just a quick yeah. shout out for that. Yeah. So um, they have some really good content with a great tool. HubSpot is also one that a lot of people use because it's a 
full integrated package if you want that. So you know you can in- integrate social media, your email marketing. You can really have a full built-out suite uh, which can really help you save time, but they also have a great product as well. So there's a couple on the list that we uh, mentioned that are worth checking out. We'll tweet out some more information uh, later on in the week. If you're struggling with testing with IT, think about some of those products, and I think that you will be able to be on your way to uh, testing some more things on your website in a more expedited process. So the last topic that we wanted to get into, which might get a little bit of technical, but it is important, especially for marketers and how we're managing the experience that visitors have on our site, which is page load times. So I feel like this has become a little bit more attention probably in the last year or so uh, with you know, page loads times, especially with mobile and tablets coming more in line with the share of visitors, that's become more of a concern. But we were, Rob and I were kind of discussing earlier tonight, just the impact that page speed has on the experience. And we were reading, you know, quite a few case studies earlier on about what that meant for big companies. I think you were reading a case study on Amazon yeah. and the impact that PageSpeed had for them, which was pretty striking. I think it was uh, an increase of page load time of 101 milliseconds. I know that's awfully specific. Mm-hmm. A decreased conversion by, I want to say, 5 plus percent or something mm-hmm. like that. Something mm-hmm. along those lines. It was a huge impact for right. such a small, what seemed like such a small change. Yeah, 100 milliseconds is 0.1 second. Yes. Right. So that's just a, you know, not a long time of, or measure of time, and to have that big of an impact. I'm sure that it also depends on where that's occurring potentially, but I believe there were some other studies that Google has released as well. You know, they dedicate a lot of time to how fast their search results pages render because they found that you know hundreds of milliseconds make a big difference on you know, people exiting using their search pages. And I think that for marketers, we need to concentrate and and maybe it's not a job for us to necessarily optimize the page, but I think that it goes into our repertoire and checklist of things that, you know, when we're creating something, when we're about to push something live or go with a campaign, running some checks on how long things are taking to load should be something that we actually check out. I believe there was there's also a study that talks about once you get past a two and three second load time that up to 40% of people will already have left at that point. There's some optimizations you can do on the coding side that even if a page isn't fully loaded, that the user at least is seeing stuff. So it's not just a white screen on the browser that's loading up. They're actually seeing some progress. Yeah, on the on the new site actually coming up, just a shout out to that yet again. I know we've been saying this for a while, but we do have a study where we talk about some page load speeds. Mm-hmm. I think it's uh, specifically about videos. Okay, It talks about right. page load speeds and how that impacts um, people leaving or mm-hmm. people actually staying to watch the entire thing. But, you know, speaking to your point, I think it's a huge thing. In, in my, my myself, I develop a lot of websites, you know, for partners and for our own stuff. And it's something that I don't even really think about. It's, you know, I'm a developer for maybe half of the day, every day, and it's something that I don't think about. But I think you're right in terms of mobile was becoming so big. This is, it's starting to matter a lot. And like you said, it's not necessarily the marketer's job, but it is the marketer's job to maybe stay on the developer's ass to (laughs) make sure that our pages load quick enough. And there are, you know, like you said, there are so many different techniques involved with that. But well, it's something that matters. Having a bunch of fly 
you know, effects and graphics and huge graphics and videos and everything on, on pages, you know, maybe while in theory that will increase conversion, it makes the page take so much longer to load. So it actually decreases conversion. Yeah. I mean, that, that was kind of what, one of the points that a blog article I was reading this week was, was making is that, you know, they ran a test for a, a homepage that they thought was going to work a lot better. It was very pretty. It had a lot of great elements, but what they found was, you know, it increased load times quite significantly, and they thought that that was a big impediment to conversion rate. And what they ended up with after iterations of testing was a homepage that didn't actually have all the features that they initially wanted uh, because they were trying to strike a, strike a balance between, you know, the features versus load time or, you know, pretty versus, you know, optimized for everyone. And I think, you know... I, as marketers and even as developers, sometimes we catch ourselves in this trap of, well, it loaded fine for me, or the page is fast enough for me, or the site's, you know, fast enough when I'm using it, you know, but we're, we're taking sometimes for granted that one, we have a business class, you know, internet connection, maybe everyone doesn't have that. Uh, we're also not taking into account sometimes mobile, what that's like. And also, if we have an international demographic, not everyone has the best internet all mm-hmm. throughout the world. Keep in mind your different audiences. What does the load times of your website look like? If you want some good resources, webpagetest.org is a great one. You can throw in a uh, URL there. They'll analyze it. They'll actually give you some good pointers. So if you're working in a small business or you're intimate with your IT team, it's a good thing to show them because it actually gives you some actionable steps with here is actually what we're seeing. Here's some recommendations. Google's PageSpeed will also do analysis and they actually have a product as well to help your site load faster. That might be a great starting place as well. Or if you have the budget, maybe look for a CDN or something like that to uh, serve your content even faster. So as marketers, page speed is something that matters. It has to do with our experience to our users and can really impact the performance of our site. So even though we're not in the nitty gritty on the codes, page speed is something that we should be paying attention to and monitoring on our campaign. So let's put that on our action items, put that on our checklist when we're launching and analyzing our campaigns. And I think that our time will be well spent there. So that's going to do it for us on episode number 19 of the Beard Marketers. This has been Robin Corey. Give us a call for items that you would like us to talk about in upcoming episodes what are you struggling with? What have you been racking your brain for weeks about? And you think, what are those crazy guys up to? Or what would be their <laughs> advice on that? Um, because between the both of us, we have a lot of experience in the industry. And if you're probably pulled out your hair about it now, we probably did at some point and might have some good steps for you to take. So give us a call 904-270-9603. Leave us a voicemail. You can even just leave us a funny story. We appreciate those as well. As Rob mentioned, we got a new site coming out, so keep your eyes peeled for that. I know we've been talking about it for a while, but we're getting close. Also on the horizon, we got some good video content coming out. We like the podcast, Uh but uh, we are also generating some videos out there to kind of put some uh, images and some action items out there and help communicate some of the items that we talk about. All that good stuff is coming on the horizon, so keep your eyes peeled. But again, this has been Rob and Corey, and we will see you guys next episode.